0: um known these two for at least two years now three years it's been three years um these two are are heroes of mine and when you i don't know he's probably not gonna he said he's going to bring the word okay he's going to bring a message i know that it's it's god's word for us to just be open because i trust this guy 100 percent he has the father's heart in him and you're going to be blessed now he's he said you know i'm probably not going to get he says i'm the worst spokesman for my own ministry um but but just so you know when you hear his heart you're going to want to i think there's something just be sensitive to what the spirit's saying is all i'm saying and be open because He's got an awesome word for us. So let's thank him for coming all the way from Thailand to come to our church today. <laughs> Brian and Valerie.
1: Man, yeah, I'm not a very good infomercial. I, I like to uh, rather give you something versus, you know, saying this is what we do, this is what we do. But at the same token, God is awesome. And sometimes we kind of consider it noble to just say, well, it's just God. Well, we know that it's just God. But there's things that he cares about you and your personality and your identity is critical to his kingdom. Otherwise, we're just a big bunch of pawns. And, and he, otherwise, it's not personal. It's very disconnected. And it's amazing, even with, with grace, we discover how much he loves us. But then as soon as he starts speaking to our heart about what he thinks about us and someone compliments that, it's like, well, it's just gone. Well, we know that. But he cares about you. So sometimes let him brag on you a little bit. We, we just don't let him do that. And um, what, if you ask me about my children, I'm going to spend a long time. I'm going to tell you all about my kids. So the, I'll pull out the photo albums. I'll get you on. I'll, I'll run you through the list till you're going, oh, God. That's our father. He's proud of you. Yeah. You know, I want to talk this morning. Um, I got to sneak in on a few of the sessions, too, and they were awesome this weekend. And Gwen Myrie closed up with, I just want to believe. Yeah. Just believe. And when I was sitting in the living room and listening to Greg and Sherry just share their hearts and what's going on, it just kept resonating. Uh, something Sherry said, she, she said, you know, we we know these truths, we're, we're knowing these truths, but I just want it to be a part of me where it's me. Like it's, I'm not doing good how she said it, it was much more eloquent, but it, it I own it, it's just me. It's no longer what I'm trying to think, it's just what I am. And I I wanna talk about that this morning, and I I wanna title this living overwhelmed by our father's opinion. See, a lot of these terms, we've looked at everything from a bottom dweller looking up, but we've never really looked at it looking from how God views things. So some of these terms that have caused a negative connotation should start inspiring life. See, being overwhelmed is always because you're the brunt of the overwhelmed on a negative. But his love is overwhelming. When he says, Out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, that's an overwhelming experience. And God wants us overwhelmed with him. See, because when you're overwhelmed with him, other people get the benefit. It becomes a natural outflow because the reality, as I shared a little bit this morning, is God does send us places, God does call us places. God does put in our heart to do things that in our natural mind we may struggle with, but he does do that. But not to prove you're good enough, but to say you are. I coach a lot of sports, I, I coach soccer, and I've I coached a lot of young men. And I'll tell you, I can tell them how good they are, and I believe in them, and I'm cheering them on, I'm in their corner, whether on the field or off the field, wherever in life, right? That's what a good coach does. But if I'm sitting on the sideline and I don't put them in the game, at some point they will say to me, you really don't think I'm that good, do you? Because once we're full, we want to get in the game. Trust me with what you're saying. If you say I'm good, if you say I have your power, if you give me your spirit, the same spirit that was on Jesus, if you say you're with me, go through Scripture. Every time God was with something, something great happened. And you said you're always with me. So if you're always with me, why is nothing happening? Don't you trust me? See, God trusts us. Amen. He want, we want to get in the game. So guys, when I say God wants you to do something, it's not to prove whether you're a Christian or not. It's not, I better go do this or God's not gonna love me. We're beyond that point. Yeah. Now it's like, God, I wanna go in. Yeah. Put me in, coach. Yeah. I'm ready to play, right? right? Little CCR for us there. See, it's time that we transition from His words of who you are to our words of saying, I am. See, our Father is the great I am. And see, a Father models our life. We look to our Father to discover who we are. So when God the Father comes and He says, I am, what's He expecting you to be? Just like Him. I am a Son of God. I am. Not... He says I am, he thinks I am, he likes me, he loves me, but until it becomes I am loved, we'll never experience what he's trying to tell us. So we're going to get there this morning. So I have a six-part series that we are going to stick into one hour, and I'm going to do this in a way that's not complicated, but you're just going to have to listen very fast, okay? (laughs) So I'll just tell you, believing is easy. Let's, let's elim- we're gonna eliminate the idea that I gotta build my faith, I gotta build my faith, I gotta build, man, if I could just believe. You are always believing, always. You might be believing the wrong thing, but you're always believing because everything you do is because of what you believe. So believing isn't the hard part, we've just gotta change what we're believing. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I don't got a white knuckle it. If I could just get the, we're going to get it where it flows. And then we begin acting. So believing scientists and psychologists have proven that believing is simple it actually alters the neurons of your brain. So what you believe is altering what you're thinking. So we no longer have to get the Bible to renew our mind so we can believe in our heart. You can't, you can't renew your heart. That is a miracle. That takes another source outside of yourself to change your heart. So we learn to renew our mind from our heart changing our beliefs. So rather than saying, if I get this word in me, and we're trying to memorize scriptures and memorize scriptures and memorize scripture, but until your heart changes, all you do is have a bunch of things in the memory bank. You're not any different. However... Once the Spirit of God gives you a new heart, which is being born again from a redeemed God that loved you so much that He wanted to live in you, not just around you and not just talking to you, that He actually cleansed you enough so that you're perfectly whole and pure in His heart so He can rest there. So quit saying you don't have a good heart once you're born again and I just don't trust my heart. If He can trust living there, I think we can trust living from there. Can we agree to that? Okay. Okay. So beliefs drive our actions and all of our decisions. And I I said this, this wasn't really totally part of the message, but I think it's very important. Jesus became became unto us all wisdom. And I remember reading Proverbs trying to get all that wisdom, and I just felt more condemned because the more I read, I am never going to get this. I'm never going to be that guy that Proverbs is talking about. And I'm really tired of a belief that gets me striving towards something. You know, the only time the word follow is used in the sense of pursuit is when it says, don't follow your fleshly lusts. Don't pursue them. But when Jesus says, come and follow me, that word actually means become joined to me and divorce your old beliefs. Become one with me. So follow wasn't a pursuit. We don't chase God. We don't pursue God. We don't run after God. He ran after us, chased us, and pursued it. Cause see, he, We never found God because he was never lost. We found us, but we kind of like those things because we struggle with our own identity, so sometimes we preach it that since I'm still chasing, you must be chasing too. You don't have to chase. He's already found you, and it's from that place that he's given you a new heart, came to rest, now he's saying, I want you to live. You're joined with him. That's the word follow. Because then he can make you something. So Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? We can't have that pride. We've got to deal with the pride. Let's deal with the pride. So quit thinking so much of yourself. We have never had a problem of thinking too much of ourselves. Amen in this room? Because you're not a healing grace because you're thinking too much of yourself. You're healing thinking because you're thinking not enough of yourself. And that's Pride. So we're gonna get rid of pride today. Can we do that? Yeah. So we can believe. See, Moses in Rome, Numbers 12:3 says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth was Moses. Isn't that an amazing statement to be said about Moses? And we just ponder that. Think about Moses and he wrote the book. <laughs> he wrote that he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. And that's all I have to say today. (laughs) Why could he say that? Because pride is having, believing your opinion is greater than God's. So when you want to live all despair, I'm no good, I can't believe it, and we have grace to lift us up. I want you to recognize the enemy's tactics because that's pride. That's where Adam and Eve fell is they thought they were lower than what God had designed them for. Pride. Pride is never living to the measurement of what God said you are. It's when we live under. Some will overcompensate it one way or the other, but it's still living under. Oh, yeah. Let me read this quick little story. This is, this is a man. He said, this is, this is a, I, I like great success stories, right? I like the Rudys and all this stuff. I mean, by the way, have you ever watched a story and just want the ending? We don't want the ending, we wanna know the story. I mean, the bottom line, please don't tell me the ending, I wanna watch. Why are we so fascinated with the story? Because it's the journey of someone going from one thing into another and seeing a different effect at the end. Yeah. We love that, it's in our heart to do that. It's in, we don't wanna just, well, God's good, we're good, and you know, we're just happy. There's something in us that wants more, we wanna see it played out, we wanna walk it out, we wanna be in that story. So I I was reading this, this was fascinating. This was written by a very successful athlete. And in his book, he he writes this. I asked myself what I believed. I had never prayed a lot. I hoped hard, wished hard, but I didn't pray. I had developed a certain distrust of organized religion growing up, but I felt I had the capacity to be a spiritual person and to hold some fervent beliefs. Quite simply, I believed I had the responsibility to be a good person, and that meant fair, honest, hardworking, and honorable. If I did that, if if I was good to my family, true to my friends, if I gave back to my community or to some cause, if I wasn't a liar, a cheat, a thief, then I believe that I should be enough. And at the end of the day, if there was indeed some body or presence standing there to judge me, I hoped I would be judged on whether I had lived a true life, not on whether I believed in a certain book or whether I'd been baptized. And that was Lance Armstrong. Seven tour de France's amazing things overcame cancer amazing stuff and we could look at that going huh he discovered something look what he accomplished in his life he just went from his heart and accomplished and see sometimes so god where do you fit in the mix if he didn't even need you to go accomplish god where are you in the midst of this and i was pondering that until i came across another situation not long ago, Lance Armstrong and his inner, inner circle submitted over $40 million in fraudulent invoices to the government. The Justice Department claimed Tuesday, April 23rd, in a civil complaint demanding a jury trial in its effort to retrieve the pa- taxpayer money. Armstrong and his fellow USPS team member engaged in doping on a regular basis and consistent basis throughout the period from 1998 to 2004, with the knowledge and assistance of each of the defendants. The whole time he wrote the book. You see, sometimes we try so hard to be something in ourselves that even if it looks successful, even if it fulfills something on the outward, inside something's dying, and I'm not showing this to try to rip apart success. We want people to succeed. I want to get to the heart of something that will set you free because there's so much that God has for us. There's a craving in your heart to go do something. Sometimes we're afraid, but then we look at even godless or people that we wouldn't really deem, or they really don't believe in God, and they're succeeding. But I want if we can get to the heart of it, it will set you free. And he says this in an interview. Now keep in mind when he wrote this book, all this is going on. And here's what an interview after it all came out. He says, I am deeply flawed. I'm praying, paying the price for this. And that's okay, I deserve this. On being stripped of everything that he earned, all the all the medals, every award, any record removed, eradicated, all the efforts of his life gone. And he says this. This is really profound because beliefs determine things. If we live from the whole in our heart, it may look. See the the efforts of our heart may look similar. But the motivations of our heart become revealing. That's why we don't measure ourselves to another person. We don't measure our success to another person's success. We don't measure what's in our heart to what, well, maybe this will be approved. Well, the thing I really want to do, no one's really doing, and I don't know if it's really okay or if it will have meaning. God puts something in you to do because he wants you to bring it out because it's his value, his relationship with you, his identity with you. It's from him. But we've gotten into this measurement, and he says, these two things scare me. The first is getting hurt, but that's not nearly as scary as the second, which is losing. Mm -hmm. He built a life on avoiding pain and avoiding losing. And that drove his beliefs to where he was. Versus someone else who took the fullness of their heart and may have accomplished the exact same thing but motivated completely different. One is motivated to validate an identity. The other one is motivated from an identity. But sometimes they grow together and they look the same. Lance's background is his father walked out on him when he was young and his stepfather ended up divorcing his mother and he'd made a decision. I'll not trust again. I'm going to handle it on my own. I'll prove I can make my way and see god is coming in to establish your heart with grace to get you so much value so love so you fully understand his opinion of you but then there's a lot your heart will begin coming alive again going there's something more yes. there's something more yes. and he wants you to run with the something more right. but now we get to do it from the right platform yes. not to prove we're something but because we are something yes. But you are something. Your name is something. You're significant. Your contribution, your fingerprint, your DNA on this world is critical to someone else. So when God, someone cries out for help, you, don't find, you find it interesting that it's a person that comes. I find it interesting in the Samaritan's Purse. It was St. Nicholas. He the true story of someone who did exactly the same thing by Samaritan's Purse, of touching the lives. And we have all this character of Santa Claus today. But that came from a man who loved God and wanted to give something to people, and it became this. And we see Samaritan's Purse rewriting the heart of the Father. I I think it's just an amazing, amazing parallel. So let's get into this. Let's turn to Judges chapter 6. We haven't really got into it yet. So while you're turning to Judges chapter 6, I'm going to read something to you. Second, I'm going to read from another verse, but just turn to Judges 6. 2nd Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 says, But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all now with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, when they looked at Moses in the, in, in the Old Testament, they had to put a veil because they couldn't look at the glory that was to be revealed. Yeah. So we have this interpretation of the Old Testament of this angry God that is mad and ready to squash bugs at any moment. And that is not the God of the Old Testament. So I am going to expose the God of the Old Testament in just a piece today. And I want you to see his passionate pursuit of people indifferent to their behavior. A God that if someone would just open their heart to believe he would change heaven and earth to do something now a couple backgrounds of the old testament that's very critical number one there was another god that was in operation that we don't see much and his name is satan i don't have time to pull it out but he is the mastermind behind what was going on in the old testament we have a god that created this earth he loved people and a different kingdom was turned over that's the simple simple concept That's why it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means another kingdom was in operation prior to that. Okay? So keep that in mind when we're reading the story. The men of the Old Testament and the women of the Old Testament were not born again. They did not have Jesus living in them. They were looking to a Redeemer, but they didn't have a Redeemer. They could look forward to something, but they didn't have the fullness. But there's a type and shadow in these that is critical to your walk with faith. Because Paul writes... And he writes and he references these things so that way you could see because he saw something different. And if you could begin seeing the richness of the grace of God through the Old Testament, it will begin changing your whole perspective. It will allow you to put your heart into action in ways that you haven't understood. So Judges chapter 6. Love this story. It's one of the program, we built our program, Mission 300, on this story, but we're not going to talk about the 300 men of how he picked it. I want you to feel a father and his deep love for his creation and and these people that he put on this planet. And it says that in uh, Judges chapter 6 and the first verse... Um, I'm going to read this to you. So you're going to have to filter this. Remember, we're now not reading this as slaves. We're not reading this as broken people. We're not reading this as a lower being. We're reading this as a father writing to his child to, to share a story of the past for you to connect with. Okay? So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds, which are in the mountains. So they're hiding. Now again, God is not doing this, but there's some verbiage that we're not going to be able to get into today. So you're just going to take my word for it. But see, in the Old Testament, God was responsible for everything. Good, bad, evil, good, all of it. He's responsible. That's how it was written. So then it goes on. I love this. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. So they cried out. And immediately when they cried out, what was God's response? Well, you had it coming. Maybe one more year, two more years. Maybe you'll get it then. Let's see. It hasn't worked for 40 years prior. I'll just let you sit there for a while. You'll ponder it. No. No. The moment they cried out and they recognize, see, sometimes it takes our heart a little while to recognize we're in an unbelief. It creeps up on you. And the moment you're like, oh my God, God, how did I get here? I'm believing. And the moment we cry out, God is giving every resource to try to find a way to get you to understand what you really are. So they cry out and it's amazing. There's the other point. God needs people. So God is all sovereign and you could say he doesn't need you and in a sense of his fulfillment of who he is, he doesn't need you. But because he designed man to join this spiritual being with this natural being and his heart was to meld you into him, you're absolutely critical to his life. He's incomplete without you because he designed you to be joined to him. So he says, so the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. Aren't you glad angels don't have to come and tell us that God can actually just speak to our heart now? Praise God. But he sent an angel. And Gideon's hiding, as you know the story. Verse 12 of chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, You've been an evil young man and had a miserable heart, and it's time for you to get things right. He doesn't address his sin. He doesn't address the problems. He doesn't address what he did the night before. He doesn't address any of those things. He didn't address whether he did the right sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, so that way he could cover this. None of those things are in this text. He came and declared the name of Gideon, that I have seen you, you mighty, valiant man. He's hiding behind a winepress. Some have hid too long behind the wine press, but he's just hiding behind the wine press. He heard the Midianites were coming, and he hid. What was his heart's response to a problem? He hid. But the depth of his heart, he wanted to do something different. See, God came to someone to meet the passion of Gideon. God didn't just all of a sudden take someone who was a musician and say, I'm going to throw you out, and I need you to start fixing these trucks. You have no desire to fix a truck. That's why we struggle with missions. God's going to call me to, oh, I don't want to go to Siberia. It's cold there. I don't like the cold. I know if I go to church and the missionary comes, he's going to call me to someplace I don't want to go and the bugs and the snakes and the disease and the housing and oh, I can't go do it, but God wants me to, so I'm going to drag myself in. We've made God so horrible even in the stories that we tell. He's not. When you're in a story that's maybe awful to someone else, you're not seeing it because when you're fully alive in those things, the grace, you're, you look at something completely different. Yeah. You don't notice it. Try to ask, talk to an athlete after a game that they just won. They don't tell you how tired they were and how you know it was really hard at the third quarter that Billy hit me in the leg and all I've been doing is thinking about my life. They don't even remember none of it. They just get in the ice bath afterwards and just ponder what just happened. But I don't want to go through that necessarily. But they're not even thinking about it. Why? Because in their heart, that's what they want to go do. So God came to a man that was in his heart and he says, You mighty, valiant man. And I believe in the depths of Gideon's heart, he wanted to believe that. But his circumstances were so awful, he could not get a hold of it. And God needed Gideon to make the change. But Gideon couldn't see it, so what does our loving Father do? He moves heaven and earth and brings an angelic voice to say, this is who you are, you mighty, valiant man. And his first response was, if God was so good, why would all these bad things happen? Ever heard that one? It, it's as old as the hills, we can honestly say now. Well, if God's so good, why did all this evil come on me? Yeah. Wow. Why, 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 did, why did this happen? You forsake us. Wow. Did God get mad? That's no, the Old Testament God. And see, then we see the thumb coming from heaven, squashing Gideon, and he goes on to the next person that would receive the message. No. How dare you talk to God? Was he being prideful of challenging God? Listen, God cares about the questions of your heart. That's how it's open. The moment you can be honest with how you're feeling with God is the moment a relationship is building. So he allows him to speak. And God is so defensive in this. I love his response. I'm just kidding. I hope you're enjoying my cynicism during this thing. This is how we've read this stuff. It doesn't even say it. The Bible doesn't even say it, and our filter has made God so mad, we can't even read it without going, well, what he probably really meant was, no, he meant what he said. So then he said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. He didn't even say, don't worry, Gideon, I know you're a feeble little wimp. (laughs) I am going to go ahead and just exude my miraculous power and and embalm you with my strength. That everybody will say it wasn't Gideon that did it, it was only God, because I'm really trying to just find a body that I can use, but your identity and individuality is insignificant to who I am. That's pride. God says, I see the might in you, Gideon. I see what I've designed in you, Gideon, and you, once you see this, Gideon, We're going to do some awesome things. So go in this might of yours. These things that you prayed about wanting to do, hiding behind the wine press, I want you to do them. I want you to resolve this. I want you to deal with this because you're wanting the same thing I'm wanting, a people free. So Gideon then turned to him and said, so he goes, go in this might. Have I not sent you? How did he know he sent them? You see, the Spirit of God has always been hovering over people. Now, the Spirit of God hasn't always been accepted by people, but the Spirit of God has always been hovering over people. Says so it hovered over the earth. See, when God's Word goes out, when the Spirit of God hits that Word, it explodes in your heart. So the words in, in Gideon's heart were there, but he just needed the unlocking to see this come to pass. And the Spirit of God unlocks this in him. And he turned to him and said, "Go in this your might." Verse fifteen. So he said to him, "My Lord," notice the tone change. It's kind of like the woman at the well. First, like, wait a second. If this is really true, why did God do all this thing? It's this big rebuke. And then the next question is, "Okay, Lord, you're saying something that only you would know about me. No, no one else would know what was in my heart. So I know you're talking to me, but do you not realize who I am? From the youngest tribe." I'm the youngest in my family. or the weakest tribe. And we're getting beaten by an enemy, and you're asking the lowest of the low to go resolve this problem. And he said to him, my Lord, how can I save Israel? And verse 16, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. I'm going to father you during this time. I'm going to now become the source of the influence on your heart. See, if he just comes in and just takes over, we're possessed. (laughs) And something about that, just being an animated puppet, seems like a good novelty for a while, but at the end it kind of feels empty. He doesn't make you a puppet. He comes in and says, I want to be with you. Now, when you're with something, that means you're also identified to that person. That means whatever opinion they have of you is the same of this. So if they didn't like Gideon and God's with you, they're not thinking much of God either. Or because they think much of God, now they got to think much of Gideon. But all of a sudden, you're one together. But God's not afraid of your opinion. He's not afraid of others' opinions. So the idea that he's with you is a very powerful statement. It says, I will be with you. You go in your strength, Gideon, and I'll be with you. And the Lord said, surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, now guys, this this is our pride problem. God starts speaking to you about what he thinks of you, what he wants to do in your heart, where he wants to go with you, and then we kind of kind of put it back onto God because we start, look, we, we know not to think any more bad of ourselves, but we just have a hard time accepting the idea that I could go do that. And if someone asks and you say you have this great idea and you want to share, you know, I really feel like we need to go do this. You don't even have to say God says. If God's with you, you, you can drop the God says. Just, I want to go do this. See, I want to go to Thailand. I want to save people. I want to free people. I want to see a nation changed. Did God have to come and inspire me in a dream and say, you know, Brian, I've called you to someplace that you don't want to go, and don't worry, I'm going to take over your body and just go do it for you, so it's not going to be anything about you anyway, so just enjoy the journey. He pricked at something that was in the depth of my being. And then my wife went along with it, because I pricked at something in the depth of her being. But this is what God does. See, He stirs you in your belief. Yes. You believe things, yes. so He comes now. He's influencing your belief, and He says, "Now, if I've found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is He who talks with me." And He took out an offering, set it, before, went and got an offering, set it before Him, and Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, did all that. I love this, verse twenty-two. And of course, when He put it on there, the angel put a staff. On this and it burnt. I want you to know something. Gideon didn't know an angel was there. He saw a man. He didn't know it was an angel until his staff all of a sudden exploded the offering in fire. Okay, there's something strange about you. (laughs) I, I, I think you must be an angel. Why is this important? Because Gideon was rebuttaling a man. But when the man kept speaking who he really was, it went to the heart of Gideon that he knew, oh, no other man would know this except it be from God. So now he listened, and then he discovered who the man was. This is very important, because a lot of say, well, if an angel came and told me and showed up with a, no, you wouldn't. You would need another sign and another sign and another sign, and then you'd go tell your friends and they'd think you're nuts, and then you're taking medication. That's how that works. But if someone of your kind, of your kind, comes and speaks to you and sees something different, you can relate to that message. Then you discover what he is. And so he goes, and, he, and he, um, Gideon perceives the angel of the Lord. Brilliant deduction. But he says, "I've seen the Lord face face." because here is the fear? If you ever saw God, remember the veil you ever saw God, ever saw an angel, you're dead. Yeah. And many men had died in those scenarios. But it was because of how they saw themselves Come on. killed him. Come on. That's good. But when he saw him, because obviously the angel wasn't there to kill Gideon, and if the rule was you saw an angel, you die, and he's not dead, then maybe the rule only pertains to something different. Maybe it doesn't pertain to those who believe. Maybe it doesn't pertain to those whose heart is to want to know who they are. I mean, I don't have a science on that. That's just my opinion. And he goes on. Then the Lord said to him, verse 23, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That word peace is such a powerful word. That word peace isn't just like, okay, you can go take a nap now. Peace is something that is overwhelming. It means wholeness, complete, health, provision, made one with, united, joined together. See, when God says, peace be with you, he was saying, we together are wholly interconnected. Everything I have is yours, Yours, mine, covenant, peace. Now, this is very important because we're going to hit another verse with this. But I just want you to catch this. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. He met the Lord of peace. He met the personality of the Father. You see, I've read, I remember memorizing all the different names of God. But I finally sat down and said, I don't want to read what everybody else's name you have. I want to know the personality that is important to my life. I need to know that name. It's great that you know that name. But if I don't know that name, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just good information. Now, I do want to know that the person exists. So it is nice to know that that, that that person's out there. But now I want to meet them. So he meets peace. And I like this in Romans 5, 1 through 6. Read this. Keep your finger in there. We're, not, we're still in Judges, but Romans 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Isn't that what just happened to Gideon? Did Gideon not just get justified because of the opinion of the Father, and now there's peace? That's what justification did for me. And the Old Testament has been trying to show you what it looks like in practicality, but we've been trying to philosophize over it of what it looks like. This is what it looks like. I, I have something in my heart. I don't feel qualified. I don't think it can work. Something is deep in me. God comes in a, in a like kind of someone who can open my heart, declares who I am, declares what I am, and says God is with you and joins me in peace. I'm justified. Now God's with me. Amen through whom we have access by faith into this grace with which which we stand. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus have to come as a man? Why couldn't he just come with his angelic armies if he's the God of the Old Testament have we interpreted and come with angelic hosts of armies make you guys all kneel down and bow and say I'm God and believe in me? Because belief of accepting what he is is not belief it's when his your belief in him and his goodness towards you that you can allow his persuasion on your heart that's belief where it alters your identity your identity has to change see the angels believe but that doesn't save them what saves us is when that persuasion on our heart and we become intertwined Now, let me don't confuse. It's just simply believing in him, okay? There's not a special nine more steps to get in saved. It's the simplicity of it. But that's what's happening in that belief. And it says that now we have access. So Jesus could not come in angelic form. He had to come through a man so you could relate to him because he made himself of your like kind. So now when we're born again, we're of like his like kind. But now we're like, Jesus is both of God and of the earth. And so are you. He bridged the two. But that's why he came as a man. Well, there's other reasons too, but I'm shortening my story here. And not only that, now here's the great part. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not in the hope that we may have the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of his glory that is on our life. That's where hope comes from. See, I'm not pursuing something. I have something. Jesus said, Father, the glory you've given me, I have given them. So when did that happen? That was before the cross. The glory you've given me, I have given them. You're glorified. You're either in shame or you're in glory. That's the opposites shame, glory. There's no in between. There's no purgatory in this. It's shame, it's glory. I'm in glory. That means his residue, his personality, his influence, his love, his life is on me, I'm glorified. Now my physical body's in a journey, but my spiritual man is still influencing my spiritual, my physical body. Because there is a day of wholeness that's coming where I don't have to deal with my natural body. But right now I still don't have to deal with the weakness and I'm just gonna make it through until he comes. Man, I'm enjoying it today. And then how much more later? Amen? Because if you're just going to endure it till you get there, if you just endure Christianity till you get there, and bless God, I'll just get in, then my life will be better, and all these problems, and we focus on the problems, and the problems, and the problems go away when we go to heaven, and the problems go away when we go to heaven, and then once we get there, then the problems will be gone. See, the only reason you're liking God is to get rid of the problems, but if you don't have any problems, you won't like them. Because he was just a means to get rid of the problems. We love each other, right? I'm, yeah. Amen. Okay. I, I'm not saying this to condemn you. You already have this. If you couldn't have this, that would be condemning. This is what's in you. And not only that, okay, this is the great verse. This next verse, this will light your fire. You ready for this? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. <laughs> Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Hey man, come on, I'm not hearing no cheering on this one. And perseverance, character, and character hope. You see, you have to have tribulation. No, I'm just kidding. But here's why this is important. First of all, tribulation is pressure that causes someone to feel confined. It's not a thing. It's an experience. It's a... You ever have that, where you're going along and you're starting to think about your own insecurities and the problem squeezes like a boa constrictor and it's twisting and internally this pressure is coming on. This is what Gideon, why hiding. He's in tribulation. Nothing's happened to him. He heard information, he's mentally processing it and tribulation is squeezing on the inside of him. That's tribulation. See, we, we want to make it into some end time thing of how the rocks fall from the sky or whatever. And I'm not here to talk about that. Pastor Greg will deal with all the end time stuff. <laughs> That's not tribulation. See, you're looking at that from your view of, you, God, save me so I can keep my world nice and safe. Oh, this other world's going to impede. That's tribulation. God didn't come to redeem your world. He came to bring you into His. He didn't come to make your kingdom better. He came to bring you into His kingdom. So if we're living from His kingdom, now we're going to see this. So tribulation, so we glory, so His residue, His personality, His love, His goodness, His unashamed belief in us, glories in these situations. Because all of a sudden we notice in our weakness, we're strong. Yes, I know. Perseverance is not, well, I prayed for patience and here it comes and now I'm just gonna have to wait. Perseverance isn't waiting. Some of you are the most impatient waiters and you've been waiting forever. You just candy crush it. We find something to cope with the waiting. And we call it patience. <laughs> patience is a powerful force. The fruits of the Spirit are not fruity. The fruits of the Spirit are the outflow of the passion of a loving Father. So when he, you tell an athlete to be patient, what he does is he perseveres and awaits the mistake of his opponent. Yeah. Then he prompts, jumps in. Yeah. That's Perseverance. It's intentional, it's it's persevering, it's steadfast, it's focused, it's ready to do something. But you don't have to jump quite yet because you know timing is gonna hit it. But you're in an eager wait. And it doesn't have to last 47 years. Come on. Sometimes perseverance is a day. Sometimes it's just 15 minutes of just learning to hang up the phone call and saying no, I am not getting into that one more time. This is what the Father says about me. Okay? So quit putting a timeline on it. Character. Well, we need to practice godly character. I've been to that class. It didn't work. I tried the accountability groups. You just end up lying after a while. Be honest, they... It was one of the struggles of promise keepers because you just can't keep it. In yourself. See, it was trying to get you to, if you did this, then you became a man. If you did this, then you'd be the God, the guy that God wants. The problem is you have to know what you are first before the promise becomes, I want to keep my promise. I want to do this. I want to be this. I want to hold fast. I want to commit. I want to, I want to go further. I want to give of myself. I want to. That's character. Where does it come from? That the first time the tribulation, the squeeze comes, you allow the real you to start emerging. And see, when that happens, perseverance, you start becoming angry in a godly way. Like, no more. No, we're going forward. And perseverance starts happening. Now this steadfast character that you become a pillar of a cement bridge. You see a bridge and you just see these three little pylons holding up trucks for years. And, and really, concrete isn't strong without the rebar. The metal bars in the middle of it, that's the character of the cement. It's not the size of it, it's these thin metal bars that allow it to twist and strengthen and move, and that's character. But it became resolved when you finally let the grace of God, when tribulation come, you let the grace of God flow from the inside out, and all of a sudden something starts happening. The glory is revealed. Now you can understand why Paul says, man, I glory in tribulation. Because every time the dumb devil comes and squeezes, something great comes out of him. But you know what? He didn't need the great, the squeeze, for it to come out. It was already flowing. See, once you discover the flow, the tribulation doesn't have the effect. Amen? And then hope. An expectation of what is sure. Hope comes. See, Gideon found this. Gideon Gideon took this hope and the father said to him, Gideon, see when the spirit of God, what does the spirit of God do? It reveals that you are the sons of God. What does the spirit of God convict you of? Oh, well, he convicts you of sin. So when you do it, he doesn't do any of that. The only sin that's being involved is you're not believing who you are. You, he convicts you the sin of not believing in Jesus. Bill, why are you just not believing who you are? So he begins pricking your heart and working on it. Going, this isn't who you are. This is who you are. This isn't who you are. This is who you are. You're already righteous. You don't have to try to get righteous. The devil's been beaten. Quit letting him have dominance. Stop it. The Holy Spirit. He starts lifting that up. So all of a sudden, he goes, I want you to go, tells Gideon, go face your father's idols. See, it was the beliefs that were shaping this identity. And when he did that, and he went and tore down the idols. You would think that his father would be mad, but see, his father had a set of beliefs that was infusing into his identity, and his DNA was warped between what was truly in his heart and what he believed on the outside, and this thing was going on. When he tore down the idols, his family wanted to kill him. But see, when you finally stand in who you are, at first people want to kill you. Well, maybe not in literal, but in, you know little jabs along the way till they're tripping you up and you got scars all over your legs from there. But at the end, his father said this, don't kill him. Let Baal deal with him. If Baal's so great, let let Baal have his work with him. So that he renamed Gideon to Jerubbabel. Basically, he said, devil, take your best shot. That was his name. So every time he got out, devil, take your best shot. So We see him rise up, but now here's what happens. We just walked through that journey, you see that? Then he goes over and he hears that the Midianites are coming in again to take. And it says the Spirit of God rose up in him and he blew the trumpet. Now here's what's critical. He went from when he heard it before, he hid. But now something emerged from his heart, his real him, with God with him, that the moment he heard it coming in, What was the response? Not to hide, but to go into battle. And not to go to battle, just to go to endless battles. To go to battle because we're going to win. That's what stirs by the Spirit of God. Okay, now one more. David. 2 Samuel. Chapter 7 and verse 1. We have not let the Spirit of God connect us to the Father that he wants to do. We've made him about a mechanism of our mouth. We've made him about a certain gift. We've made him about, if we get him, then we have power. You know, Jesus said, don't, to his 70 disciples that went out, they said, we came back and go, even the demons bow bow to us, they know us. And he said, "Don't, don't celebrate that the demons run from you. Celebrate that your name is written in other words, celebrate the idea that God so values you and who you are. This is just the byproduct. But don't make my relationship that. That will happen because of this. Celebrate this. Yes. That's why we keep talking about the love of the Father and the grace of the Father. See, you don't realize the Spirit of God is moving and you're acting and dealing with things you never thought you would deal with before because of the Spirit of God. You're walking in power. Yes. Amen. So the Spirit of God is awesome and I don't want to jump ahead let me let me so a new view of life came to Gideon by the influence of the spirit of the father see his heart was freed by the grace of God to the point where he can be influenced by a new belief and his mental wiring begin to change he didn't run from battle he ran at it and defeated it and set people free And he didn't need his own ability. He didn't need a huge army. He didn't need all of those things because God began putting him together with a company of other people that felt the same way. And it was effortless as they lit the fires and the Midianites and they came to steal the wheat. But the dream the Midianites had was a roll of bread. God took the wheat the Midianites was gonna take and rob. And God formed that into a cohesive bread that destroyed the Midianites. That's the parable. See, when he begins taking you and he aligns with you, he takes your individuality and he combines it with other individuals and he merges himself with it that you're still an individual, but now you're a part of something and that becomes something the enemy can't deal with. 2 Samuel 7.1, David just became king off the promises. You know his whole journey. And I love this. Chapter 7, verse 1, 2 Samuel. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in the house and the Lord had given him rest. Hallelujah. The grace of God, you've been given rest. I'm trying to see a six-stage progression, but it doesn't have to go this way, okay? I'm just giving you a picture. Let it go anyway God's speaking you to go. So don't get caught up, okay, the first stage is this, the second stage is this, the third stage is this. Man, skip it all if you want to. I'm just giving you some progressions here. I want you to see that it's okay where you're at, and you will get to the next place. Amen. Don't feel like you have to be all the way here and then you're qualified. You got qualified the moment he spoke at you. Amen. Now in your relationship and journey with the Father, you discover who he is, you discover you who, who you are, and an outflow naturally begins to happen. But I want to show you where this will take you. And it says, It came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies round about, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, David had been squeezed and tribulated against for a long time, but he came to the point where the word that God told him that he would be king was more steadfast. That's why he never tried to become king. See, once you know what you are, you're no longer quarrelling over pettiness. He lived with the enemies. He did things that you're like. Well, if you this is what made Michael so grieved when she saw him. How can you be wearing the robe? You're a king. I've waited all this time for a king. And he goes, I've always just been connected to God. The closest thing to be connected with God in the Old Testament was the priest. So he'd rather wear the priestly garment than the kingly one. But he was confident being a king. And it goes on to say, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see, now I dwell in it. Oh, so so David goes to the prophet and says, hey, listen, God is living in tents and I have this beautiful house. So I want to build him a house because I have a real problem with God being in a tent and I'm in a house and it was, and Nathan says, go do what is in your heart to do. I love this. Go do what's in your heart to do. And I'm here to tell you, if you allow the grace of God to flow, go do what's in your heart to do, but I may make a mistake. Yes. Listen to this. Because God is so good. He needs to get you believing again. He needs to get you reacting again. He, reacting is the wrong word. He needs to get you to be re- begin responding to the impulses of your heart. Because the kingdom of God isn't out here. It's from your heart that God brings the kingdom in. So he's not going to do any miracle, anything, without flowing through somebody's heart. That's the kingdom of God. So everything's going to come through you whether you like it or not. That's how it's going to come. So... He says, go do what's in your heart. But then God showed up to Nathan and says, no, if I wanted a house, I would have asked someone to build me a house. I want to be with the people because ultimately your heart was the destination of God, not a building. But in that moment, the best he could get with these people, what they would let let him have of them is to go around in a tent. But at least he could be with them. And so God came to Nathan, to David, says, you can't build a house. Now, one version says it's because he has blood on his hands. Now, there is a point to that, but here's what I love about God. If you'll read the whole book and the whole stories, he wasn't talking about David's disqualification. This reveals the heart of the Father. David had something. God had something better. And he says this, um, verse 5, So go and tell my servant David, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house. I don't want this house. So he kind of, he begins explaining to David, don't do it. See, David got his heart going. You can say, well, see, had he not gone with his heart, God wouldn't have had to come and change him. God had to rebuke him because David was wrong. David is known as a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stop reading the no's and look at the wise. Let's look at the heart of the father in the situation. So then he says um, in verse 8, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people of Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. Amen? Amen. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've I've cut off all your enemies from before you. I've made you a great name, like a name of great men who are on the earth. That's a little humbling. Look at God's opinion of David. And he says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. By the way, that's in our hearts and that's us. Verse 11, since that time, I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Look what God did. David ran from his heart and wanted to do something for God. God says, no, I appreciate that. I'm already with you. I want to do something for you. Wow. Yes. That's why we live from our heart. See, God has something so much better, but He needs your heart to want to do something. So when you find yourself wanting to do something and He changes your plans, don't think you screwed it up. He needed to get the bike moving. Verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And your house, verse 16, and he talks about his mercy not departing. By the way, we're that house. Jesus came to, store, to establish the temple. He came and lived in us and near this house. You're reaping the benefits of a man who just wanted to run with his heart. This is your promise. And then he says this, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all the visions, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David went and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I? You know, sometimes we just need to be embarrassed by God a little bit. Who am I? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? But see, David had already dealt with his identity. There is nothing wrong with sitting down and being overwhelmed. God, you took me. I, I remember what I was and what you have made me. There is nothing wrong in gratefulness and thankfulness. That's part of your heart. It's when you refuse to accept his opinion because you think yours is better is when the problem comes in. So I'm not saying don't be grateful, don't be overwhelmed, don't be consumed with his loving goodness. And sometimes it just makes you sit on the floor and go, who am I? But we own the word that he said over us. We're just grateful for the word he said over us. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man? God, is this how you see man? Does that sound like this evil God of the Old Testament? David discovered, God, this is how you see us. Man. That you want to establish a kingly state in man because you love him. Now what, verse 20, now more. what more could David say to you, for you, Lord God, know your servant? Verse 21, for your word's sake, according to your own heart, you've done all these great things to make your servant know them. See, you've, now catch this, you've done all these things to make your servant know them. Not just hear about them, not just, but to have an intimate acquaintance with these things, just like Gideon and the angel, to know these things. For your word's sake. 22, therefore you are great, O Lord. There is none like you. Verse 23, and who is like your God? So he begins talking about this. And I I love this. In verse 25, now O Lord, the word which you've spoken concerning your servant. And remember we were talking about how do we own this word? How do we consume it? Where it goes from an idea encouragement outside into ours listen to david do this now O lord the word which you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house establish it forever and do as you've said it goes from being told it to begin telling god it he owned the word and now he begins telling god this is what i am this is what you're gonna do. So let your name be magnified forever. Let the house of your servant David be established. You, God, you said you would build it. What's he doing? He's now taking this concept and said, you said it. You said it, let my house be built. God, b- fulfill your word. God, bless my house. I am a blessed house. Yeah. And all of a sudden he goes from receiving it, being humble, to standing up and saying, this is mine. This is mine. God, bring forth your word. And it's almost like he's commanding God. But he's not commanding God. He's declaring the promise of God in his life. And it says in this, now in verse verse 20, now therefore let it please you to bless this house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. You, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So he takes it, receives it, declares it, tells God to do it. And then I love this, verse 8. He goes to battle. He never asked God again to bless him. He just takes it. And he establishes a kingdom. Not in his own, but in that word and belief and identity that was flowing in him. That's becoming one with your belief. And that's the God of the Old Testament. How much more that we have the revealing of his son. And he is saying to you, I want you to rule and reign with me, in your life, here, and in the world to come. Amen.